have a seat. Hey, you know, in honor of the middle schoolers who uh, aren't here with us, uh, who are having fun up at Cascade Camp, and in light of our um, clapping challengeness, maybe we could just play an old youth group game some of you are probably familiar with. You know, when I hold my hands like this, and when my hands pass, you clap. Because you want to try that? So let's practice it. Good. Okay, so then we come back the other way. Oh, you guys can clap. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the applause. I appreciate that. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and a special welcome to you. If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, one of the ways you can help us get to know you is to fill out a Connect card and uh, turn it in at the Welcome Center on your way out. Uh, We would just love to give you a little gift as our token of gratitude, thanking you for coming out today, and one of our lovely and talented Welcome Center hosts would be more than happy to greet you and give you that little gift. We are continuing our series today called uh, Faith in Action, and we've been talking about this story of the exodus of God's people out of Egypt and through the wilderness, ultimately to the promised land, the land of Canaan, which is the land that God had promised their ancestors, going all the way back to Abraham, that he would give them. And we've been talking about how this story of the people of Israel is, is a mirror to our journey of faith with God. From slavery in the promised land, Egypt represents our life before salvation, our slavery and our bondage to the sin and the lostness of our life in this world. And then our deliverer, Jesus, came and and made a way through the Red Sea, opened the door for renewed relationship with God, for us to find hope and a new life in him, ultimately leading us to the promised land that he has promised us But we also recognize that the promised land isn't a destination that we arrive at and then we're done. It's a a land that's filled with ongoing challenges and difficulties. There are giants in the land that we have to face. There are fortified cities that we have to come against. And in that process, we continually need to lean into and rely on the presence and the power of God in our lives to be able to respond to his call to go and to take the land. On this spiritual journey of our lives, we've been talking about how sometimes God brings us to these moments in our lives where choices need to be made. These crossroads moments where God asks us to put our trust in him and to follow him into a place that maybe we weren't expecting to go or maybe we aren't all that willing to go. But understanding that it takes saying yes to God to experience his blessing in our lives. Not because it's a conditional thing that he says, unless you do it, I won't bless you, but it requires us to go with him to experience his provision and his power in our lives to be able to see that blessing. He wants to increase our understanding and our experience of him and to open new doors to understanding our deeper meaning and purpose for why he has redeemed us and saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. There's often times when God calls all of us to demonstrate our faith in action. We've learned that this can often be easier said than done. The, the fear of giants might want to lead us to, to go back to what we're familiar with, to go back to Egypt, to go back to what is more comfortable, even though it, it wasn't necessarily all that great. At least we know we, we're going to get some, some hot meals and we, we're not going to die at least, right? As a result of their fear and their resistance to God's leading, however, the an entire generation of the people of Israel missed out on being able to enter into and experience the promised land life that God had for them. And they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. 
And we talked about last week how that, that experience of wandering in the wilderness, being stuck in this land in between, can often be a place that we find ourselves. Sometimes because of our own resistance to God, maybe sometimes because of other experiences of life where we find ourselves in places that we didn't want to go, where we didn't expect to be, and we feel stuck, and we don't know how to get out of those places. But also I'd like to suggest this morning, what we see in this story as we go through with the people of Israel is that God continually demonstrates his love and his faithfulness to his people, even in spite of their own resistance and challenges. After struggling through the wilderness, the Lord brings his people back again to the Jordan River. And he commands them once again to go, cross the river, take the land. And as we pick up the story at the beginning of the book of Joshua this morning, where God invites the people to once again cross that river, we're presented with this idea that here again is a new moment for God's people. A new season has come upon them. There's a, a new opportunity before them, and God comes with a new command. But in order to be able to respond to God and be successful in this new season, To seize this new opportunity and to respond to God with his new command, the people need to take a little bit of time to be prepared. Would you pray with me as we turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1? God, we do thank you that you are a God who has demonstrated his faithfulness in our lives, and that through our resistance and the times that we've turned our back on you, the times where we've been through our own wilderness wanderings, you have faithfully been with us. You have protected us, and you've given us what we need, and you bring us back to this moment again this morning where you are here through your presence and through your spirit to invite us again to experience this promised land life that you have given to us. Give us the courage this morning, God, and the strength to say yes to your spirit and to follow your son Jesus as our Lord and our Savior again in this new season. We ask this in his name. If you turn with me to the book of Joshua, it is the sixth book of the Bible. So uh, the book of the law, the Torah, is the first five books that uh, Moses kind of collected for the people of Israel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then Joshua 1 picks up the story after the end of Deuteronomy and after the wilderness wandering years. And it starts off in verse 1 by telling us, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. And from the great river, the Euphrates, all all the hill country, Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. We're going to stop there. The story continues, but we don't have time to, to read the, the whole thing this morning. But, but as I was saying, Joshua 1 picks up after the, the wandering years, and the dramatic voice of God himself picks up the story and dominates this opening scene. God's faithfulness has seen the people through the wilderness times, and without God's provision and protection, the people would have either starved to death in the wilderness or been massacred by the enemies who sought to destroy them. But now we come to this new moment, as we were saying. This new season of life is dawning for them. And, and God is saying, you've got to be prepared, and, because in three days, you guys are going across the river. And in order to enter in this new season of life in God, to enter this promised land, I want to suggest to us this morning, there are five things out of this story that can help us to begin to prepare our hearts to enter into the promised land that God has for you and for me. And the first most important one, I don't say most important one, but the first important one is that we have to understand that in order to move forward, we have to let go of the past. In order to move forward, we have to let go of the past. You see here, with Moses passing, Joshua is now being commissioned as the new leader of the people. This new generation of people that grew up in the wilderness is now coming back to this place that God had the people 40 years before. And the people had been mourning the death of Moses now for 30 days. But in verse 2, it says, now then, meaning that this new moment of action is coming. We're going to have to let go of the glory days of Moses. We're going to have to let go of the past of what you were in order to be able to experience the new thing that God wants to do. Specifically, Joshua and Israel must cross over into the land that Yahweh wants to give them. This new generation of leadership and this new generation of people are being called upon to continue the faith journey that Moses and the older generation had laid for them, the, to carry on the legacy of those who have gone before, to, to continue to put the faith of the community in action. Yet in order to be prepared, they can't live in the past. They have to live for the future, and they have to trust that God has a future in mind that will be better than where they're coming from. We, too, have to learn how to move forward in our lives with God, don't we? Into the future that he's prepared for us. And I, and I just want to quickly, we can't spend a whole, we could do a whole sermon on this one topic, but just some, some quick things I want to mention for us. In order for us to be able to let go of the past and to move forward, we have to be able to grieve the loss of what was. We have to be able to grieve what was. What was, it wasn't bad. What was wasn't uh, uh, wrong. It just is, is not true for us anymore. And so we have to be able to, to let go of and grieve the, the loss of the past so that we can open ourselves to a new future that God has for us. In order to grieve the loss, the other thing that we need to be willing to do is we have to be willing to allow God to heal the woundedness that maybe we are bringing with us from those past experiences. Because the past isn't always good, right? Sometimes there's a lot of pain from the past, and we need to be able to, to heal from the, that pain and that woundedness and to let go of some of the broken places in our lives and in our history to be able to enter into the new thing that God wants us to do. And the third thing is we need to be able to accept God's forgiveness and offer it to others in order to let go of the past. 
One of the biggest challenges that keeps us stuck in the past of our lives is unforgiveness. Either unforgiveness for ourselves or unforgiveness from those who have done us wrong. But God says that his forgiveness that he's offered us through Jesus Christ, that he's given to you and me, is what we too can offer to others. And and not only is it for their sake, but it's for our sake to free us up and allow us to move forward into the new life experience that he has for us. Now, that's easy stuff, right? You know, letting go of the past, grieving, healing from woundedness, forgiving those who've wronged us. That's all, that's all the easy stuff. No, no, that, that's going to be some of the hardest work that maybe we've ever had to do. But that's why he says, you know, as you begin to prepare, you've got to be strong and courageous. It's going to be hard work to, to move into the promised land. There's going to be some big challenges that, that God asks you and I to face. There's going to be some difficulties that he asks us to overcome. And so we're going to have to be strong and courageous. In fact, this idea of being strong and courageous, he mentions four times in this one passage, right? Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And then he even gives it in the negative. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. You think God is giving us a little bit of a warning that we're going to have to be strong and courageous if we're going to follow him into the promised land? Joshua's long career in leadership precedes this moment. We can go back to the beginning of our story in Numbers 13, where he was one of the spies who, who was asked to go into the land. And, and his original name, Hosea, at that point was changed to Yehoshua in the Hebrew. And the uh, Greek New Testament actually renders his name Jesus, uh, which is the same name that was given to Jesus in the New Testament. In Numbers 14, it's Joshua and Caleb, the only two spies who said we should go in and take the land that, that are, are the ones who are to survive and remain as from the previous generation who have now come back with the new generation to be invited to lead this younger generation into the land. Later in the story in Numbers 27 and 32, God recognized Joshua because of two key leadership qualities, the indwelling of God's spirit and his consistent pattern of wholehearted obedience. You see, I I believe that that it's one thing for us to say, oh yeah, we just need to be strong and courageous, and then we can do it. But, but, But what we have to understand is that our strength and our courage don't come from our own ability to do what God asks us to do. It comes from our trust and our faith of God's presence and his power in our lives. And we say yes, and we're able to be obedient to what God calls us to do because we're willing to live out of the power of his spirit in our lives. We go back to the beginning of the story that Dick shared with us where we're all the way, you know, in the desert. Uh, Moses says, you know, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us because we can't do it without you. But too often, I think we try and live the Christian life in our own strength and apart from the presence and the power of God in our lives. And so the idea of being strong and courageous is that, well, you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just just need to have more strength and courage in yourself. No, 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 no. I don't think that's what the story is telling us. It's that we have to focus our eyes firmly on the presence and the power of God in our lives and be strong and courageous because of our trust in him. Moses is passing on 
or Moses has passed on and Joshua is commissioned as the new leader for the people. And the people are facing a momentous, risky, and seemingly humanly impossible task. And the real danger is that fear and feelings of inadequacy and doubts may creep in to cripple Joshua's resolve as a leader and the resolve of the people to continue to say yes to God. And so to be strong and courageous means to be steady and resolute and bold and unafraid, not because of our own goodness, but because of the goodness of God that we believe in. I want to do a a little aside here. There's another feature of this story that I think is becoming more apparent for people in our generation. And and there are many people in uh, the church world that are beginning to recognize in Joshua and his buddy Caleb, these these two leaders who, who were of the previous generation who are now being called to lead the new generation into the promised land. They're seeing in Joshua and Caleb a potential call to those of us who are in the the second half of life. You see, Joshua and Caleb are, are, are the, the 50 plus leaders of their day. They're the ones who, who, who've been through the wilderness. They've been through the hard times. They're, they're coming to the second half of life and they're looking towards retirement. And God says, no, 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 no. It's not time to retire. It's time to invest in the next generation. It's time to lead the new generation to experience the promised land life that I have for them. But see, too often, we we recognize that our culture tells us a completely different message about the second half of life. In fact, one uh, pastor wrote a book called 50 Plus, The Emerging Joshua and Caleb Generation. And in here, he he, he recounts the the story of of how his own church went through a a transformation and came to this new awareness that, that the older generation of the church wasn't moving towards retirement. They were moving into the most pivotal uh, calling of, of their lives, recognizing that it's at the later stage of life where we have the most wisdom, the most experience. If you're moving towards retirement, you have the most available time to be able to perhaps make the biggest impact of your life. You see, retirement isn't moving towards life on the golf course and enjoying all your free time. It's about taking all of this life experience and all of this wisdom and, and applying it in a very focused and a direct way that God has for you to be a blessing to the next generation, to lead the next generation to experience the same life of faith that you've experienced in your own life. One of the challenges that the author identifies in the book, though, is that for too many of us in the church today, in our generation, and I include myself in this, now you guys may go, (laughs) I'm going to be 50 on January 9th in 2018. I'm joining the 50 plus crowd. And so you you guys know this, I mean, at, at, at almost 50 years old, I'm already feeling like, man, I'm, I'm kind of over the hill, right? The, the, the culture is leaving me behind, right? And those of you who are a little further on in the journey know even more that we have a culture that worships youth, that worships beauty, that is, is, is after the new and the shiny and the grand. We don't value wisdom and tradition and rootedness and gray hair. We, we don't 
That's not what our culture is about. And if we're not careful, we might allow ourselves to be conditioned by the culture to think that our best years are behind us. And the best thing that we can do is begin to, to cling to the past and to hold to what, we are, what, what we've had in the past and to live our faith life out of those experiences of God that we had in our youth. But what these authors are suggesting, and I would like to suggest what the story of Joshua and Caleb tells us, is that just the opposite is true. Our best years might be just in front of us. That God may have the ability to take all of your life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and give you the greatest gift to turn around and give to a generation that is in desperate need of seeing God's faithfulness and his love and his mercy. What are the two qualifications for leadership that God identifies in Joshua? The presence of the Spirit of God in his life and his willingness to be wholeheartedly obedient to God's calling. That's it. But that's a lot, right? In our culture, we may feel marginalized because of our age or disqualified because uh, we haven't lived our lives perfectly to this point, but that isn't how God feels. If you're a 50-plusser, you're being called to live out the rest of your life in a profound calling and purpose that maybe you hadn't even imagined before today would be possible. One of my professors in seminary, Bobby Clinton, did a whole study on how God develops leaders for a lifetime, and he recognized that it isn't until after 50 years old, and usually probably closer to 60, before people fully have the capacity to look back on a lifetime of experience and understand how all of that is what God has woven together to give us our greatest possibility of making the deepest impact for his kingdom in our lives. But if we're not recognizing that it's at that stage of life that God may have our greatest purpose and calling for us, we might miss the whole point of all the things that we've been through to this point. We might miss the opportunity to go into the promised land with the people of Israel. I'd like to suggest for those of us who are in this second half of life, it's up to us in this season to step up into the future that God has for this church and for those in your life Because we are the Caleb and Joshua generation that is called to lead God's people into the promised land for the future of his church. The third thing that we can see in here is that this land is not something that we manufacture. It's not something that we create. It's not something we can capture in our own strength or by our own wisdom or by our own strategy. As we cast a vision and a strategy for our church, it's not our vision and our strategy that we think is going to be the best thing that we can do. We are desperately seeking the presence and the power of God and his leading, and we want to follow his spirit into the future for Faith Covenant Church. There are four times in this passage that God clearly identifies that the promised land comes only as God's gift. Verse 2, the land that I am about to give them. Verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Verse 6, you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Take possession of the land, verse 11 says, the Lord your God is giving you for your own. You see, this promised land life experience for you and for me, for our church, is not something that we can do in our own wisdom and strength either. It only comes as a gift from God. It stresses that the promised land life is not won by greater effort or or greater intelligence or greater wisdom or greater goodness. The land comes only in humility and submission to the presence and power of God and to say yes to God and receive it as his gift to us. 
Max Lucado, in the book that we've been talking about, Glory Days, talks about how in this reality that the promised land life comes only as a gift from God means that we have to learn not to measure our lives and our success by our own ability. We need to begin to learn to measure it by God's ability. What does he mean by that? Well, even though you can't forgive, God can. And because he can, you can forgive too. You can't break that habit that you've been struggling with and and stuck in for so many years, but, but God can. And because God can, then you can too. You can't control your tongue or your temper or any of the urges that you might have, but, but God can. And because God can, you can too, and so can I. And since you and I have access to the presence and the power of God in our lives, we can do anything that God asks us to do. That's, that's what we talked about this morning, right? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, it's not our own strength. It's through Christ. If, it's, if we're willing to submit ourselves to his spirit and his power and his presence, we can do anything that God would ask us to do. So Locato says, leave your I can't behind you. Set your God can ahead of you and get ready to cross the Jordan. In order to do that, though, and to be successful, the other thing this passage tells us, and this is number four, is that in order for us to be successful in this endeavor, God's word is essential. God's word is essential. Four times. Verse seven, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Verse eight, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. The one proviso that God gives to Joshua and the people is that they have to stay true to God's word. That that if they're not reading God's word, if they're not rehearsing God's word aloud to one another, if they're not living into and out of God's word, they're not going to be able to make it. They're going to get off track. There's too many distractions. There's too many challenges. They have to be firmly rooted in God's word in order to be successful in this endeavor. This law or the instruction teaches them about the character of God and his loving devotion to his people and and the expectations that God has for them and how to live this life that God is calling them to live. Ultimately, it's God's word that teaches us and his people about this covenant relationship that God has with each one of us. Some scholars did a study, it's called the MOVE study, where they wanted to know what is the number one factor in people's spiritual growth and development that most uh, assures that they will be growing in their faith. And they looked at, you know, being in a small group, being in a, uh, in a Bible study, going to church events, worshiping on Sunday morning. And the number one factor that they found in this whole study is that actually spending time reading and, and meditating on God's word is the, is the number one most significant factor in our spiritual growth. And, 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 and if you think about it, it makes sense. We, we know that, but yet how hard is it to really stay connected with God's word in an intimate and a personal way? I mean, again, this isn't talking about just reading for information's sake. It's, it's about engaging with God. I mean, listen again to, to what this says. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you, but it says, keep this book always on your lips. 
Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do what's written in it. It's not some scholastic academic exercise about knowing the information that's in the Bible. It's about allowing the scripture as the word of God to be a word to us, to meet God there. It's the one place where God promises if we spend time in his word, he through his spirit will show up and meet us there. And that word comes alive as a word to you and to me. Because it's in the Bible that God wants to engage us. We need to engage the Bible and and be sure that we are people of the book. But that leads us to the fifth thing that I'd like to highlight for us. And I'd say this is probably the most important one. In all of this, as we've already been saying, God's presence is the key. God's presence is the key. Verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, undergirding Joshua's confidence and the confidence of the people to go in and take the land is that they were not doing it alone. Yahweh, the all-powerful God, is the God who leads them and surrounds them with his presence. The reality of God's presence is the recurring formula that we see over and over again throughout Scripture. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. It is the the primary truth of the Bible that invites us to enter into the reality that the fact that God is present here with us now means that we can have a relationship with him. We can talk to him as much as he talks to us. We can access the spiritual power and the presence that we need to be able to live the life that God wants us to live, the promised land life. See, we too need to always be focused on God's presence with us. But how easy is it for us to get distracted in the busyness of our lives, of family and work and time, to to, to not realize that we haven't paid attention to the fact that God is with us every moment of every day. It's not just in church on Sunday morning where God is with us. It's as we face every giant in our own lives. It's as we face every fortified city of the challenge that God has for us and for our families. God wants us to be aware of and present to him even as he's present to us. And if we're willing to do that, he says, your spiritual life will come alive. I'll meet you in my word and you will know, you will have the confidence to be strong and courageous because you'll know that I am with you. One final highlight that I just want to make is if you go through the rest of chapter one, it talks about uh, two and a half other tribes who, who, who weren't going to uh, make their home in the promised land, that Moses had promised them that they could uh, inhabit some land to the, the east of the Jordan, and they were going to stay out there. But he said, your, your warrior age people have to go with them and to take the land. And then once the land is taken, you can come back and settle your people. You see, the important thing here is that the people of Israel weren't some loose association of tribes. They were one people. And until one part of the tribe rested, the other parts of the tribe couldn't rest in their land as well. The importance of the unity of the people was an essential part of their success. Any dissent or discord or division with Israel's ranks would pose a a risk to their ability to take the land and to experience the promise of God at their lives. At this critical juncture in the life of Israel, too much is at stake to allow tribal jealousies or personal vendettas to get in the way of God's plan. And men and women, the greatest threat to faith covenant church in the future and the greatest threat to your marriage, the greatest threat to your family, the greatest threat to your network of relationships is that we allow disunity to creep in and sow division between us and our relationships with one another. 
even though the Israelites form one of the probably the most dysfunctional families in the history of the world, God says your unity together is what's most important. It's your unity together that will signify that not only are you not alone because God is with you, but you're not alone because you're in it together. That's especially why we need to focus on hanging in together in the future for our church. It's not an ageism thing. It's not a generational thing. It's not a music style thing. It's not a whatever thing it is. It's about being together as God's community, as God's people. God has given us to one another. Joshua led Israel across the Jordan to face the Canaanites because God promised to be with him. And like Israel under Joshua, we as Christians are called to form a spiritual kind of army as well. We're we're, we're called to fight a spiritual battle against a real spiritual enemy that exists. And unless we can stay unified and understand that this battle is real, that enemy threatens to weave its way into our community to sow dissension in our relationships and in our ranks and to cause us to fail to take the land that God has for us. Like Joshua and Israel, we may face many dangers with many fears, but we can be strong and we can be courageous if we do it together. If, if you think about it, this goes back to my youth ministry days too, but this word to, to encourage, you know, we need to encourage one another. And if you think that, that word is to put courage into something, right? To encourage is to put courage into. We need each other because we need to put courage into one another. We need to encourage each other to be brave, to be strong, The risk is that we'll we'll nitpick each other, we'll complain, and we'll begin to argue with each other, and and that sows dissension and disunity. But we need to put courage into one another. The author of the book, 50 Plus, talks about one of his pastor's uh, visions that he had about this idea of this spiritual warfare that's going on, this battle that we face. And he talked about in this vision that the primary strategy of the enemy was to cause division on every possible level within relationships and into those divisions begin to drive wedges of senses of rejection and bitterness and discontent and complaint. But then the thing is, he said, the, 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 the delivery system for, for those kinds of divisions in community were Christians themselves. And when I read that, I was like, gulp. <laughs> I mean, how often is it that we, the ones who are saved, we, the ones who are redeemed, we are the ones who have been forgiven, are the ones who are sowing the seeds of discontent in the very community that God calls us to encourage, to bless, and to experience the joy and the freedom of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 5.15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. See, we, we need to get really, really good at encouraging one another, of putting courage into each other because there's some big challenges ahead for you and for me personally in our own lives. There's some big challenges ahead for us as a church. There's some big challenges us for, ahead as Christians in our culture. We need courage and we need to encourage one another. And finally, in closing this morning, I'd like to suggest that as we do that, we too have to remember we are not alone in this. Jesus promised to be with us. In in Matthew 28, right, the Great Commission, at the end, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. But at the end, he says, and lo, I am with you, even to the very end of the age. 
You see, the reassurance that Jesus is here with us through his spirit now is is the reassurance that banished Joshua's fears, and it should ours as well. Like Jesus, we bring good news to a broken and hurting world that is not of our own doing, but it's the gift of God among us. The kingdom of God is his gift to us. It's not something we build, it's something that we receive. And we need to not be afraid because in this process, we are never alone. We too are being called to follow our Joshua. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Joshua and Yeshua are, are virtually the same name? That our Joshua went to the grave and rose from the dead so that we could find our way into God's promised land. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his people in this place, we need to let the past go. We need to learn to be strong and courageous in his presence and his power. We need to accept the promised land as his gift to us. We need to actively learn and live the Bible as God's word. And we need to always live in the powerful presence of God who is with us. I didn't know how to do this. I just felt like it might be something that would be good for us to do. Uh, At the end of... Uh, this chapter in verse 16. After Joshua talks to the people and he says, this is what we're going to do. It says, they responded with, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. And I thought, at this moment in the story, at this moment in our lives, would you be willing to make this statement to Jesus as our Joshua leader? Would you be willing to acknowledge that his presence and his power is able to lead us to that promised land experience that he has for you and for me? If so, I'm going to invite you all to stand. Go ahead and stand up. Now, you don't have to say it if it's not your heart, if it's not where you're at this morning. This is not something we are going to force you to do. But if your heart is that God is speaking to you this morning, if God is calling you in this season to be a part of God's people in this place and in this time, to to cross the Jordan River, whatever that means for you, to go into the promised land of of whatever that God has for you in this season, I will invite you to join me in reciting the words of Joshua 1.16 this morning. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. One more time. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Would you pray with me?